1: everyone john wertheim here it is this week's sports illustrated slash tennis channel tennis podcast happy thanksgiving everyone we're doing this on tuesday tuesday morning we uh just got a number of uh proposed rule changes we will be talking about those with our guest paul anacone paul and i wrap up 2017 in men's tennis we'll do a uh, a women's wrap um after after thanksgiving but paul and i talk about Federer nadal what to look for in 2018 good talk with a uh longtime guest you know what jamie lasanti let's bring him in right now paul anacone from southern california we do this with uh with with no script and no real game plan we're like Perfect. tennis players that just go out there and hit ball see you know see ball hit ball podcast that's how we
0: that's how we do our best work j that's how exactly. we do our best work
1: we Can over prepare um twenty seventeen bit a bit of a strange year but uh two familiar names at the top you're you're a glass half full guy i i would probably be in, inclined to talk injury more than you would but uh top- top line thoughts on twenty seventeen
0: yeah i think i think it was an amazing year i mean from the from the from the men's side i think um you know, the timing of the injuries and stuff was really uh, something to be looked at and studied to see if there's any kind of recurring theme that happens down the road now. Um, it's interesting because Roger, when he was asked about it at the Open, kind of said, well, everybody's just getting a little older now. And I think, you know, that might be something to do with the injuries, but to lose, you know, Novak and Stan and Andy and Rounich and Nishikori, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a lot and and so it's very interesting that the two guys that managed to have a the best years were the old was the old guard and and a lot of that is cuz both of them know how to manage their body so well um but when you look at it i also find it really interesting cuz Rafa now at the end of the year starting the year the years rigors are starting to show up in the knees and and he he played a lot of tennis this year right. uh, roger right. You know, Roger obviously played less, but knew how to, and knows how to manage his schedule so well. So the first part is just the participation, the fact that Nadal and, and Federer were the stalwarts. And the second part is, at their age, they dominated. I mean, it's just unbelievable to think that they split all four majors and they both had just ridiculously good years. So I find that exciting, but then you cap off, you sprinkle in just a little bit of tomorrow's stars now when, you know, to see Grigor win the year end championships without losing a match, to see Grigor win his first Masters 1000, and then you see the big splash that Sasha Zverev had. Um, it, it, does, it does make tomorrow exciting with, the new, with those new guys. But you wonder, are Federer and Nadal ever going to get old or bored?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, I mean, health is health is a big wild card. But you look at their level of play. I mean, I think Dimitrov finished at number three, but Zverev, Zverev was number three in the world entering London. And he didn't get to the second week of a major, which right. to me says a lot about just how far above the rest of the field, the number one and number two guys, were you... Um, a year from now, are Federer, Nadal, Murray, Djokovic, are they all in the top five?
0: I would think so if they're all four injury-free. I would, th- those would be my bets that those will be four of the top five. And you know, it's interesting because you made a great point there, John, just about you know Roger and Rafa. Look how far ahead they are. And then you have Zverev, who didn't do you know didn't do well in the majors, but won a couple Masters, one thousands, thousands, and then Grigor kind of splashed on as well. If you take out Roger and rafa what is that what is that analogous analogous with it's pretty analogous with what has kind of happened on the women's tour right? No serena, and then there's a lot of people kind of jockeying for position they're all you know they're all fighting to try to get that stability and consistency to try to grab that mantle while Serena was gone, and no one was able to do that you know there's a lot of very good players and none of them were consistently great and dominant the whole year. And I see that as probably the trend that will happen once the big four, if the big four ever start to dissipate, you're going to see guys that are going to try to figure out how to dominate. And that's why we get so spoiled. You, know, you get so spoiled with all-time great athletes that are able to do this week in and week out. I mean, I was watching this weekend, watching Grigor. Uh, in particular, and and um, uh, Gofan to a lesser degree earlier on the week, Gofan was nervous, but in the weekend, Grigor was really trying to manage his environment so well. He hasn't been there, and so you know, second serves in the middle of the box, unforced errors at big moments. And he showed us that he's human, and Grigor found a way to win those matches. We're so used to Rafa and Roger and Serena, you know, at these big moments, hitting balls millimeters <laughs> right. from sidelines, right. coming up with aces in these huge moments. It is so hard to do that, yet we've been spoiled for over a decade with it. And so now all the young guns are going to have to deal with that, whether it's you know whether it's Grigor or Simona Halep or whomever. Once that mantle, once there's a little bit of a vacancy on that mantle, it shows you that there's possibility. Then the nerves jump in, and you see what happens. It's so tough to manage. So I was really impressed with Dimitrov's ability to fight through that and find a way through. And also it made me a little bit nostalgic and very appreciative of the Nadals and Federer's and Serena's that are able at these big moments to just paint lines and trust it. It's it's really an amazing skill. Let
1: me ask you a philosophical question, and uh, and then we get back to uh, to X's and O's. Did did you happen to see Ryan Harrison's prank video with Dimitrov? I did,
0: yeah. I did see it, yeah.
1: So so you know what what really struck me about that is if people haven't seen it, they should. Ryan Harrison is uh, basically orchestrating a a mock interview and the questioner is asking Dimitrov ridiculous questions about uh, his modeling career and he's making him sing. And Dimitrov is fielding these absurd questions and is too nice a guy to give the guy a funny look and is trying to make the best of of an awkward situation. Um, It it said a great deal about what a a nice and uh, pleasant individual this is. But do, yeah. do you do you see any? I mean, we sometimes I think this notion of like is so and so too nice is is crass and, and an oversimplification. But someone asked me recently. They said, "What's the biggest controversy in tennis these days?" Said, oh yeah, you know, we got Levar Ball, and we've got Draymond <laughs> Green versus Cuban, and we've got anthem protests and Jerry Jones. They said, "What what does tennis have that's sort of making heat right now?" And I really had to think about it. And I guess you know Nick, Nick Kyrgios tanks a match every few months, and Sharapova's, right. but. Very little in um, in in sort of the the beef slash heat category. Um, and does tennis mm-hmm. need this? And in particular, if if you know, Grigor Dimitrov is being put in this awkward situation and is too nice a guy to uh, to, to call out an interviewer asking him to sing Backstreet Boys, uh, what, what what if anything do we read into this?
0: That's a great that's a great point, and that is typical Grigor. He's such a nice guy, and 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 he's so. I mean, willing to put himself out on the line a little bit. And you're right, and we see with great athletes, they get, look, you've seen it more years than I um, have, John, but athletes get tired of interviews. I mean, you forget that every day they're in interview rooms and some of the questions they get asked, you kind of shake your head at. And so when you see Grigor able to respond like that with a kind of a a little bit of a wry smile and not really – Get his feathers ruffled. That does show you how nice of a guy he is. That's number one. Number two is I'm a little bit. I, I, I actually like to celebrate uh, the fact that there isn't a lot of conflict. I, I don't think, you know. I, I I guess people. Some people like the fact when there is extracurricular kind of conflict or dispute. But look, we're celebrating historic runs in the sport. That that to me. I love that it dwarfs anything else, number one. Um, I love that the, the, the celebratory um, environment of what Serena has accomplished is going to try to start to build on in January. And what Roger and Rafa are doing are, are so monumental that it kind of dwarfs anything um, that's going on. That's the first part. The second part is, hey, guess what? Maybe our sports actually in decent shape compared to a lot of the other sports in terms of what else is going on. I for one like to celebrate sport for sport. Um, I think in our world of instantaneous access to all the you know to all the new news and the, the Twitters and the Snapchats and the Instagram everything everybody has opinions about everything every five seconds so it's very easy to get drawn into a conflict. I actually love the tennis right now is for the most part above that and it's about what these great athletes are are accomplishing so I love that I for one don't need the conflict myself if I want to do the conflict I'll just turn on the real news or I'll read some po- political stuff or whatever that gives me plenty of conflict to deal with I like to celebrate the art of sport and what the great athletes are able to do so I, I like that just have to
1: follow our, our president hasn't tweeted about tennis once we've gotten Marshawn Lynch and <laughs> Jamel Hill and uh, the Golden State Warriors. Um, no, I mean I, th- I think I think we've talked about this as well. It it, it sort of top down too, isn't it? I mean, when Federer Nadal played the Australian Open final, and the first thing Federer says is, "I wish it had been a tie, and I'm so honored to have been here." And Rafa's made a great comeback. I would have been okay even losing this match. Mm-hmm. That um, that impacts the, the entire culture. I would I would submit.
0: Right, and 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 the the. The ironic thing about that is I actually believe that, knowing Roger as I do. And, and I I think Rafa would have felt the same way. They both, you know, they, they pride themselves on emptying the tanks to compete, but that doesn't override the general respect and pragmatic view of the environment that they're in, and they understand and appreciate and truly get what each other does and has done. So I believe both of them feel that same way, and they both, because of their, for lack of a better term, kind of blue-collar upbringing, just realize how fortunate they are, and they cherish it. They love it. So I think, I just think it's a, I think it's a great blue-collar
1: upbringing or white-collar
0: upbringing? I think they're more, I think they're more blue-collar, no?
1: No, it's interesting. I mean, I I always thought one thing that was interesting is, I, I don't think they act entitled, but I think the fact that. Neither of their families' financial stakes were riding on whether they won tournaments; was more of a, a benefit than an impediment. And there well, was a yeah, certain but, stability I mean, in place there that that you don't always see with other players and other athletes.
0: Yeah, I mean, perhaps I'm wrong, but I think they're just—I mean—I think they're middle-class families that 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 weren't, like you said, incredibly entitled and incredibly affluent. And I think beyond the the kind of evaluation, the financial evaluation of their state of being, the morals and ethics that both of those guys were ingrained by their parents and their families were pretty, I mean, they're pretty damn grounded. And I I love that aspect about them, and it gives them an appreciation for the highs that they've been able to achieve. In other words, their feet are their feet are truly on the ground but their accomplishments and their heads are through the clouds in terms of what they've been able to achieve so I like that balance and the perspective they both bring
1: I'd say one of my favorite moments in sports was the the 2008 Wimbledon final when the the two mm-hmm. the two families sit like my my daughter plays softball and like you don't want to confer with the other families of the other team and everyone sits on opposite sides of the backstop. This is the Wimbledon final, and the Federers and the Dolls are sitting next to each other, and they're all hugging after the match. Um, don't 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 often see that in uh, you know. I don't think Conor. Yeah, I don't not, think Conor McGregor's camp was uh, right sitting there embracing that, the Mayweather's after the fight. Anyway, um, right. <laughs> let's uh, all right, let's let's do 2018 stuff. You you think uh, Mur- Murray, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal are all top five players a year from now?
0: I, I would think so. You know, unless there's an injury issue, and I, I still don't know how healthy. Look, I saw some of the Andy Roger scenario, uh, their their exhibition. Right, I, yeah. I don't know, I don't know how healthy Novak is, and I, I'm not saying he's not. I just don't know, and right. I don't know how healthy Andy is. But I'll tell you what: as soon as you start out and you start playing three out of five sets early on, especially, you know, with their <laughs> yeah, exactly. style, of, right. With their style of play, you know, it's not like they're going to be hitting a million aces, getting a lot of free points. They're working hard from day one, so we're going to see how healthy early on they are. And, and, And if they're healthy... Yeah, they're great players. You know, great doesn't, I've said this before, great doesn't just stop, you know, especially at their age. They're not all of a sudden great anymore. So there's no reason why Murray and Djokovic shouldn't be right up on that platform at the top of the game with Federer and Nadal next year.
1: So number five in our top five, the player with whom you have a relationship, Stan Vaprenka, we have Mm -hmm. Zverev, and Dimitrov are in the top five right now. You know, Jack Jack Sock has come on strong. Who, who's, who's your fifth player in the top five?
0: Who, well, who's the, who's the best know.
1: player outside the big four who's uh, going gonna to make his mark in 2018?
0: Well, I think the person to deal with, in my opinion, probably is going to be uh, Sasha Zverev. Um, I, I don't... You know, Stan, I think, just started hitting a couple weeks ago. Um, he had a pretty significant surgery in September. Um, and... He's great, and he's you know he's won a few majors, so he can definitely get it back. I, I don't I don't see any reason why Stan's not going to be up there as well. But I just think Sasha's Verab. You mentioned where he is, and oh by the way, he hasn't done much in the majors right, yet. Right. Yeah. And so what happens when he does do that? Which I th- don't see any reason why that won't be 2018. Um, You still, you know, he's my, he is my, I would lean slightly towards him, but then you throw, you know, Stan and, I I would throw Stan and Grigor right there, right with them to see those two. Jack, Jack to me has top five talent, but he still has kind of top 20 inconsistency. Right. And so, you know, until, until he, you know, until, he's going to have spectacular weeks, but he, as you've seen with his schedule this year, Jack has a little bit of uh, a lower bottom once in a while, and he can get in a little bit of a rut. And when he manages that better, he's top five. Jack Sock is awesome, and we've seen that the last couple weeks of the year. So I hope Jack starts next year like he finished this year. If he does that, we're going to be talking a lot about Jack Sock next year.
1: What do you think – going back to Zverev, I mean, this this terrific year, this is someone who two, three years ago he'd been pinpointed as a, a future star, and he's already – again, he's got the number three in the rankings. But those results in best-of-five matches, um, you know, lost in the – you know, he wins uh, – you know, what, what did he – he wins Rome and then loses uh, first round of the French Open, decent Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. I I, I'm, I don't have it in front of me. I, th- I think he lost to, to Borna Cioric, second round of the U.S. Open – His Mm -hmm. record in best of five matches at majors is not his record in best of three matches in conventional tour events. How much does that bother you? Is that physical maturity? Is that a focus, emotional maturity? I I think we take it as an article of faith that this guy's going to win majors one day. But boy, did his performance at the four majors in 2017, uh, that, that was not worthy of his play the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of an interesting it's an it's an interesting debate for sure and then we've we've talked about it you know we've talked about it a lot on uh on on TV this year and going through all the different matches and you know look you you mentioned it he he's had you know he's had a he's had a rough major 6 and 4 in majors 21 and 7 in masters 1000s um and and you wonder why that's happened you wonder why you know, he's he's had those losses. Um, but I, I think it's part of it is maturation. I think part of it is, you know, it's starting to get more physical maturation. I think mentally and in terms of strategy, he understands, um, you know, shot decision and he understands his game extremely well. So I, I, I'm not worried about his game. I'm more worried or keeping an eye on the physical kind of development and consistency, and I think Jez Green is going to get him there. They've had that five-year plan, and I think this is just finishing year three. So he's probably rounding the corner to get that level of play to go through five sets. I mean, if you look at his look at what he did in Australia, where he lost, you know, where he lost to. Um, where he Rafa, lost to right? Rafa. You know, he lost to Rafa right. out of basically fatigue in that fifth set. Yeah, exactly. So right, right. There's no reason that's not going to change. Um, I'm not worried about it at all, John. I just think it's now about trying to peak and play your best tennis at the right moments. And I think with uh, Juan Carlos Ferrero in his corner and Jez Green and his dad, he's got the right setup. So for me, it's not if for him, it's just when.
1: What uh, You know what? You, you brought up the name. Let's let's dwell here for a bit. Juan Carlos Ferrero. Um, interesting coaching choice. W- what do you think about um, players that hire coaches who do not have the style, and, and you know to some extent the temperament of the player? Is is it help to have that? Is that is that you know every athlete says, I "Listen, I want an agent who's nothing like me," or, or mm-hmm. do you? I mean, you know, Boris Becker played nothing like Novak Djokovic. Their record speaks for itself. Right. Or do you think it helps when it's it's Edberg Feder?
0: No, I, I think people, you know, I had never understood the part that you just said. I mean, the part where people said, oh, he plays like me, I'm going to have him coach me. I, I, I think part of being a coach is understanding all the different styles of play and trying to figure out how to manage your play in an individual sport, how to manage your player's style of play. I don't Look, I totally understand how... To clay court tennis worked i just wasn't very good at it right. you know i'm not even <laughs> yeah, to exactly. the skill sets right. for it. Right. you know i mean right. I, I think i understood it pretty well but i just i wasn't that good at it but that doesn't mean i don't get it and and if you are if you're a coach it's your job to figure out all of those different nuances so, so you know so for me i think that um it's more about the interaction between personalities the buy-in that the player has with the coach, that he believes that the coach knows him or her and how best to manage their skills. And so I, I, I think that that's, I I don't think it's, it's neither here nor there. It's more about the communication, the interaction and the understanding between the player and the coach, particularly at this level. I think that that's the most important thing. You want, you
1: want to observe a, uh, a clumsy transition?
0: Sure, let's do it. Show me we how to do that. We will not
1: be witnessing Juan Carlos Ferrero during matches at the Grand Slams. You know why? Because the Grand Slam board did not address mid-match coaching. But there are several changes that came down today, just uh, maybe an hour before we uh are speaking, Paul. That uh good I, thought, transition. I, thought I thought that was a nice segue. Like that? that
0: was good. Yeah.
1: Um we're working on it. This is where Jamie Lasanti's <laughs> editing skills come in. Um you did you see these uh did you did you see these I don't want to say rule changes. I, did. I, don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. really call them rule changes, but they're, uh, you know, am- amendments to the rule. They're not radical changes, but uh, there'll, there'll be some amendments in uh, in 2018. A shot clock. Uh, the, I think um, the war- warm-up's going to be condensed. I think the the big one is, to, to me, is the fact that these players who are unfit to play and are there just to collect a check. Um, now it looks like there's, there's going to be some pressure on them to pull out. Did, did any of these... Changes jump out at you? Did you think they should have gone further? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. There was no mention of the – they didn't mention the coaching at all, huh? I mean, in in the release that I saw, I didn't see any mention of the coaching. Um, I like like the 20 to 25 seconds. It made no sense at all to me that – well, in particular for the men's side, that in the majors it was five seconds less between points than on tour. So now it's 25 seconds, which makes sense now. But I guess what I – Wondrous. Does that mean every match court has to have a shot clock? Well, that's the Uh, thing. I mean,
1: it's unlike unlike Hawkeye. Don't you think every every court is going to have to have this apparatus in the corner of
0: the court? I would think so. I would think. I mean, that's that's always been one of my concerns about Hawkeye. Is I've always felt that every player in the same event should have the same set of tools used, and I always thought that it was a little strange that on an outside court you might not be able to use Hawkeye, which could cause you a break of serve, which could cause you, I've always been a little ambivalent about that. Um, So now I imagine with the shot clock, it's going to be, I would assume it's a lot less costly than Hawkeye. So you're going to have to have a shot clock on every court. And then my second question is, you know, how does it work? When does the umpire start the clock? Is it as soon as the point's over? Is it when the point, score is called? Is it after the crowd calms down? It, does he have leniency to delay it if it's a long rally or late in the, you know, how is that, how is it, how does the process unfold? But all in all, I, I love the fact that it's five extra seconds. My only qualm with any rule is if it's there, use it. That That's why I always had an issue with the 22nd thing. If you're going to have it there, use it, you know, um, so, if they have that, use it the right way. um the other stuff you know the the warm up stuff I guess I don't know i don't what's different about that? Are they just trying to make sure people don't walk on and off the court um you know they're they're trying to adhere to everything that uh you know a minute after you walk on for the pre match meeting, um they'll have one minute to be ready to to start the match i right. I don't I mean, is that is that much different? I'm not really sure. I, I like the replacement and the draw, like you mentioned, because it incentivizes the injured player to let a non-injured player play, and they still get a pretty decent chunk of change for letting that person play. So, I I like that. Um, I, I actually wanted them to drop back to 30 from 32 seeds to 16. Exactly. Um, right. And and it's you know the way they worded it. I wonder, it says, you know, it said that uh, the Grand Slam tournaments will continue with 32 seats in singles and intend right. to revert. Right. What is that? Is, you know, is there, are they hedging there or is that they're going to do it in 19? I don't know. Um, and the Encore coaching thing, I'm surprised they didn't even just say, you know, it's in discussions and, you know, we're going to keep it as it is. They didn't even mention it. So for me, that tells me there's still a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, conversations behind closed doors about the coaching stuff. So, but I think look, I think we're in a day and age and our sport tends to be we tend to be pretty antiquated about willingness to change rules, formats, etc. So, I I think we have to keep up with the Joneses so to speak and we got to make sure that we are open to conversations to make our sport more appealing to people that watch without jeopardizing the integrity to the people that are playing, you know, that's the simple formula. And um, as long as we're doing that, I'm I'm happy. But uh, I think it's yeah, it's good. It's a good start.
1: Did um, I? You know, the seat is interesting to me because I I always thought that in some level it's a reward. So you're a top top thirty in the world. You are not going to play a higher ranked opponent at a major until the third round. You're guaranteed not to play another top thirty two player until round three. By that time, you've made. and and gotten a nice haul of ranking points. doesn't make for great matches in the first two rounds. I wonder if the reason why this appears to be, like you said, it looks like it's going to be phased in in 2019. Maybe people were chasing that top 32 spot this year with anticipation of next year, so it might be unfair to take that away. Um, What about, um, I'll I'll tell you, by the way, I, I talked to an official about what you, I think you raised a good point about when does the clock start? And the way it was explained to me is: look, if there's a forty-shot rally and these guys' their tongues are hanging out and they're gassed, all right, you give them a couple seconds before you start the clock. Just the fact that there's going to be discretion on when the clock starts, but just the fact that there's going to be this, you know, completely objective measure in the back of the court now is hopefully going to have this impact of of speeding up play. Let let me um, did you did you watch much of the action from Milan?
0: I didn't. I only saw just a look, a few snippets of it.
1: Did did anything else there strike you as particularly appealing or galling?
0: Well, I think the I think the fast the 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 fast four format, which Tennis Australia kind of did some exhibitions starting with a couple of years ago, is an interesting one. I think that that's a big, it's a significant change. I I wouldn't go that far. I think there's ways you, you know you could have some special events and do some things with it. I wouldn't want to make that the foundation of what we do on tour. But I love you know I actually like the fact that they use that environment as a platform to test things. Um, but nothing, you know, nothing really jumped out at me. You know, it's, it's, while I like the coaching in terms of being a coach, <laughs> I like that idea. I still don't know how it works the right way. Um, I, st- I think the headsets were a little bit better than what we've seen on display with how the WTA did it and does it. I don't love that. It, I don't think it's very flattering for the players or the coach. And I would argue that the impact is minimal, and I would argue that what fans get from it is pretty minimal. Um, I, I don't love that. Um, and finally, in terms of the coaching, I don't know, John. I mean, look, I hate to shoot myself in the foot as, as a as a coach, but I love to celebrate the individuality exactly. of tennis. I, I, I love... The fact that See. you know, I, I've I've been very fortunate to sit in the box at Center Court of Wimbledon, in the U.S. Open. I love to watch my player try to figure out what to do with that immense pressure, what to do in that environment. How do I manage my skills? How do I manage my emotions? And to be quite frank, part of my coaching philosophy and my coaching job is to help to teach them be individuals. To help to help them understand. How to manage those environments and be confident that they can do it. And, and to not have to look over and blame or question or whatever. To be able to go, you know, I'm so and so, I can figure this out. You know, my, no matter how nervous I feel, the other player feels the same way. You know, I think that's part of what a coach's job is. And it just kind of, it's an over, you know, it's kind of an umbrella feeling that, you know what, it's such a unique sport, one on one. Figure it out
1: Celebrate center that. court
0: yeah. major events it's kind of, I think it needs to be a celebration that's my own feeling
1: see this is just another reason why we're friends no I mean the other <laughs> thing too I, I don't want to, but the the other thing too is if you're going to change something this fundamental, you really have to tell me and support with some real data that this is what people want This is not twenty five seconds versus twenty seconds this is an absolute bedrock principle that you're Upending if it's you know this is adding a 3 point shot and if it really is going to add to fan appeal and the players overwhelmingly want it i'm all, i'm all ears but you got to sell me on that you can't just sort of randomly say hey it's this new innovation and we've heard from fans that it's positive i mean the absence of data here i think is really problematic but right anyway. no,
0: that's yeah, yeah that's true i'd love to hear what all of the you know poll you know, the top 100 players, then pull the top 200 players and, you know, just see how everybody feels. There's economic impact. Some players can't afford coaches further down. I mean, there's a lot of things to consider so but but I I love the fact look like I said I think we as a tennis community need to be open and I love the fact that the ATP tried a bunch of stuff in Milan and I think we should keep doing things like that to see what's valuable what isn't and then have the you know the constructive conversations afterwards and go hey where do we stand what what's good and why and obviously a lot of it needs to be player driven they're the product they're the ones out there laying it on the line
1: that's entirely Too rational. Um, I'll I'll tell you what. uh, You know, I'll tell you what jumped out at me, and I I hate to say this because it impacts employment, but the lack of line judges and officials on court. First of all, I thought just visually it it really underscored the one-on-one more when the players had the courts themselves. But also, you know, you're you're talking about a ball that's going faster and faster every year, and the capacity for human error. I'm not sure having technology and and machines make in and out calls with an umpire there as as a final arbitrator. I'm not sure that's not something we won't be seeing in the, uh, in the future here.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because we are a technology based community. So, and world globally. So, you know, I, I, I don't want anyone's job to be taken away, but you wonder how many things will be automated down the road. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know how I feel yet. Look, I I'm a, I'm a stickler for detail and anything that is better in terms of being more sure of what is clearly in or clearly out or whatever. I like that. I, I like that aspect of it. But from the humanistic point of view, I get a little concerned and, and I'm, I'm kind of not sure, but I, I hear what you say about highlighting the individuality of it with just the two players out there. It's kind of unique.
1: Um, all right. We are, uh, we're going to rope in a colleague to talk women's tennis. We did a good all job right. with the men. We hardly uh, we mentioned Serena. That's about it. But we'll we'll rope in Lindsay or some such and talk women. But uh, okay. this this was great.
0: No sweat at all. Thanks, you guys. I appreciate it. All right.
1: Have a good Thanksgiving. We are going to tell people where they can still pick up your book.
0: Take some time nice. off,
1: and uh, we'll, we'll we'll see you in Australia, or we'll see you for breakfast next week. How's that?
0: Yeah, I'll I'll let you know if I come in town. And you guys have a great Thanksgiving. Jamie, take care of yourself and keep John out of trouble. I know it's a tough job, but I'm counting on you.
2: You got it. That's
1: full-time work. (laughs) Thanks, PA. Take care. Have a good one. Take care. See you guys. All right, that does it for this week. Jamie Lasanti, I put you on the spot, and I ask you, of all of these proposed changes that we've been discussing, from four-game sets to no-let scoring to coaching to shot clocks, to reducing uh, the seeds from thirty-two to sixteen at the majors, what do you like? What don't you like? Speed round, go.
2: Jeez, um, I like—I I, kind of like the shot clock.
1: We like the shot clock, right?
2: I think it's a little weird because I mean we got used to the shot clock in in basketball, so it's fine. But I think it just puts a little bit more emphasis on like you have to keep up Speed the pace, it up. and you know, I like. I like efficiency, so this is this is very much in favor See? of efficiency. This
1: is like media today. You need a certain motor. Um, none of this toweling off uh, when your opponent double faults. Uh, what about, um, what, what do you favorite. think? You're, you're okay with no-let scoring? Yeah. Sort hits the net. Sometimes it dribbles over. Sometimes uh, it's a big fat sitter that the returner can uh, take a you, swipe so at.
2: As long as, I guess, there's there's advantages on both sides, right? So it makes it fair. Exactly, we're literally, okay
1: uh, literally on both sides. Um, what about uh, you're okay with? What do you think of four game sets?
2: That one's a little weird.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure we're ready for that one. So someone said too, you you get an early break. Suddenly it's three to nothing. Yeah, and you're and like, oh, it's, it's like, a oh. game away. Forget it. We we can't have eleven minute sets. Um, how are you feeling about? Uh, let's let's. I'll spare you the coaching diatribe. Huh. How are you with uh, 32 seeds versus 16?
2: That one's interesting. You like that. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think, I, you know, it's it's a reward for players, right? You get to the top 30, and one reason to have this incentive to get to top 32 is that when you get to majors, you don't face a higher opponent until the round of uh, whatever that would be, 32, obviously. And by that point, you've earned a lot of money you've earned a lot of points um it's sort of a reward for having a high ranking the problem is it means that you'll never have two guys in the top 32 playing during the first four or five days of a grand slam um that i don't like i think i think 16 is a good a good number what else are we talking about what other uh we've got um what do you, what about the no no officials other than the chair umpire totally automated line calling how do we feel about that
2: You guys, you guys talked about it. You and Paul. It's it's kind of a sticky situation, right? Because you don't want to take this is actually somebody's job, many people's job, Uh, so you don't want to take that away. It's it seems like the one sort of thing about tennis that makes it a little bit different than some other sports in terms of you know officiating and and rules and and replays and things like that. Um, You know, you have these people that sit there. They kind of are the only ones that can speak out, uh, you know, during the quietness, um, you know, maybe just as a, a ref is the only one that can throw a flag or something like that. Um, kind of, it's a little weird for me.
1: Oh, you're softy. I can't, one of my great pet peeves <laughs> is when you're watching baseball and every single person, the fans at home know whether it was a ball or a strike, but the umpire, the pitcher, the catcher, the batter, the four people most intimately impacted are left to, uh, to, to human eyesight and human error
2: Do you don't think it what do you think the players are gonna
1: I gotta I don't if I'm a player don't you want maximum accuracy Don't but, you want but
2: don't you aren't you used to that that call?
1: I guess but if it's a beep is it that big a difference? I don't know I um
2: I mean the beep right now has a different meaning right. So then you have to reprogram yourself, and for yeah, but these players I, I are I just. Still, so, I think you're you're a machine. You're you're operating on on feel and and muscle memory, and that includes what your brain remembers yeah. and thinks. So
1: you just told me you were efficient. Don't you want maximum yes, accuracy yes, yes, and yes. minimum human Agree, error? Agree, but
2: I'm saying it, No, I know
1: what you're saying. It's um, I, it was visually I thought it was kind of cool too. You had ball boys scampering around the court, and you had the umpire in the lifeguard chair and otherwise it was just the two players it was took a second um anyway we will um we will reconvene after thanksgiving you have an exciting trip i get to go to philadelphia is that exciting
2: that is exciting
1: not as exciting as your trip um we'll have another guest we thank paul anacone for uh joining us talking 2017 and projecting ahead men's we will do women's next time uh thank you jamie have a good thanksgiving thank you john Have a good Thanksgiving, everyone. Keep the suggestions coming. We will have another guest. We're kind of, sort of, in tennis's off-season, such as it is. It doesn't really exist, per se. We still have Davis Cup as we record this. There's still smaller events going on. Um, We have Tim Samicek just winning a wild card to the Australian Open, so we still have some results dribbling in. But uh, for all intents, tennis is shutting it down for at least the next six weeks. We, though, will uh, at least periodically continue. We'll have... uh, some year uh, in review awards on SI.com for the tennis season next week. And um, again, we'll do another podcast or two before the end of the year. All right. Uh, Happy holiday, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can get this podcast wherever podcasts are sold, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, etc. Have a good (laughs) week.